When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by Star Trek Spirits. Visit StarTrekSpirits.com today to preview the all-new Romulan Vodka and Romulan Rye. Take 10% off your order with special code Roddenberry at StarTrekSpirits.com. This episode is also brought to you by Raycon. Right now, go to buyraycon.com slash missionlog to get 15% off site-wide with code HOLIDAY plus free shipping. That's code HOLIDAY at buyraycon.com slash missionlog for 15% off your Raycon purchase. Buyraycon.com slash missionlog. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 470, Life Signs. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Norman Lau. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we take a look at an episode of Star Trek, examining it for the morals, meanings, and messages, and trying to determine if it stands the test of time. This week, Life Signs, the one where the Doctor discovers he's more than a mere program as he falls in love with a Vidian woman whose life he saves by turning her into a hologram. I'll return shortly with trivia, but first Norman will tell you how to stay in touch with us. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a line at missionlog at roddenberry.com and join us on Twitter and Facebook at Mission Log Pod. While you're at it, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And please remember your comments could be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. And now here is John Champion with this week's trivia. Well, thank you, Norman. This week we have an episode written by Kenneth Biller. He gets both the teleplay and story credit. But as with everything, we're really looking at a collaborative effort. Ken wrote the first script, but then it was Jerry Taylor and Michael Piller who gave him guidance for the next round. The general concept stayed the same, though, an exploration of the EMH's romantic life. And this episode, with one exception, was a time-slash-budget saver, too. Very little in the use of guest stars and very little in the way of new set pieces. So overall, it came together quite easily and earned Ken his reputation for turning out good scripts for Voyager. It was directed by Cliff Bowl, very familiar name to all of us, of course, as he's been around since the early days of TNG, having directed 25 episodes there and seven for DS9. We most recently discussed his episode, Meld, for Voyager. Okay, uh, we have to talk with the music that comes up in the scene in the 57 Chevy on the holodeck. Uh, This was actually first pointed out to us by a member of our Discord. So thank you very much, Pax Federatica. Now, in that scene, when it was first broadcast, the car radio plays I Only Have Eyes for You by the Flamingos. That also appeared on the VHS release intact. Skip forward a few years and the DVD release replaces that song with My Prayer by the Platters. On Netflix, and I can also confirm on Paramount+, Plus, the original song has returned, but the closed captioning still uses the lyrics from My Prayer at certain points, making it a little weird if you're trying to follow both. (laughs) All right, let's meet our guest stars. Remember what I just said about keeping costs down for this episode? Well, we have just a handful of guest stars, and most of them are returning to Star Trek. As Michael Jonas again, we have Raphael Sabarge, and his contact, the Kazon Lorem, is played for a second time by Michael Spound. We do get an additional moment with Seska, uh, at last for poor Jonas, played again by Martha Hackett. 
There's one new actor in a small role, though. You may remember in the episode The Cloud that we met a gigolo in Chez Sandrine. He was played by Luigi Amodio. This time around, we have a similar gigolo with a similar makeup and wardrobe, but he is played by a different actor. This time, it's Rick Giannassi. In addition to a handful of TV credits, you may have seen him in any number of movies produced by Lloyd Kaufman for Troma Pictures, chief among them, Sergeant Kabuki Man. And finally, in the role of the Vidian, Dinara Pell, we welcome back Susan Diol. If you don't remember, we first met her in the TNG episode Silicon Avatar, where she played Carmen Davila. We mentioned that Susan has worked across a broad spectrum of roles, and you may have seen her in soap operas like Days of Our Lives, where she was a regular in the early 90s. She appeared twice on the original Quantum Leap as Beth Calavici, and then came back twice in the same role for the 2022 reboot of that series. We will catch up with Susan one more time on Voyager. Welcome to the Delta Quadrant, the home of young holograms in love, and helm officers driving straight toward trouble. Prologue. Tom Paris bursts onto the bridge and is late for duty again, but makes sure that everyone with an earshot of him knows that delivering Samantha Wildsman's baby is to blame. Or was it a faulty turbo lift? Either way, Tom's current drama will have to wait, as Voyager has intercepted a distress call from a small, unarmed vessel with one very faint life sign aboard. It is a Vidian female who is outside of Vidian space, and her life signs are fading quickly. Janeway orders for the Vidian to be beamed directly into sickbay, where the doctor and Kess are standing by. After a cursory examination, the doctor discovers a highly sophisticated bioneural implant on the female Vidian's temple, capable of transmitting synaptic patterns and neuroelectric impulses. The doctor also diagnoses that she is near brain death and uses the implant to transfer her biological data into the hollow buffer and then finally into a holographic recreation of this woman before her physiology was ravaged by the phage. Act 1. In Janeway's ready room, Chakotay updates her on two key issues currently affecting Voyager. First, the Vidian woman whose logs indicate that she was en route to a Vidian colony before Tuvok intercepted her distress signal. And second, that Tom Paris has become a disciplinary problem, to which Janeway grants and supports her first officer's full authority and discretion. In sickbay, the doctor and Kess activate their Vidian patient's new holographic body, while her phage-ravaged body remains in stasis. As she slowly regains consciousness, the doctor, in his very signature bedside manner, explains how she has come to pass on Voyager, and specifically how her total consciousness now inhabits this pristine holographic body, free from the phage's ravages, which she confesses having suffered from as early as seven years old. After composing herself from an understandably emotional reaction to what she has just experienced, well, understandable if you're anyone but the doctor, She introduces herself as Dinara Pell, a hematologist who was en route to her home colony after helping to treat an outbreak of the phage on Fina Prime. The doctor, again as he is wont to do, outlines the very cold and clinical facts of what has been temporarily achieved to preserve Dinara Pell's consciousness, while her biological synaptic pathways are under repair using Voyager's advanced holographic technology. However, No matter how brilliant the doctor may be, the clock is ticking, and he only has a week before Dinara's synaptic patterns degrade, meaning certain brain death. Act 2. In his office, the doctor is explaining, well, more like dictating to Belana Torres how to best extract a small portion of her brain tissue in order to graft said tissue with Dinara's, because after Belana's previous abduction by the Badeans, they learned that Klingon DNA is highly resistant to the phage. At first, Balana was dead set against being a donor, but Hologram Dinara's impassioned plea for help changed Balana's mind, and thanks to Dinara's more sympathetic approach, Balana volunteered to be prepped for surgery. After successfully extracting a sample of Balana's brain tissue, the doctor suggests shutting down Dinara's program to allow the graft to set, and to also slow the degradation of Dinara's neural pathways as hosted in Voyager's computer. 
However, Hologram Dinara feels invigorated and isn't quite ready for her consciousness to be shut down. Sharing her desire to explore Voyager, the Doctor explains the limitations for holograms aboard Voyager. However, the Doctor takes advantage of a previous loophole in the system. Soon after, the Doctor and Dinara engage in an evening of conversation and laughter in Tom's holodeck program of Shea Sandrine. After getting to know each other a bit more, she names him Shmulis after her uncle, who also used to make her laugh. They eventually return to sickbay and exchange an awkward goodnight as the Doctor deactivates Dinara's program, pondering something that was unspoken. Act 3. Chakotay is following up on the Paris situation and sits down next to Tom in the mess hall, asking him if he has been feeling unwell or if anything has been bothering him recently. Chakotay cites Tom's most recent bout of unprofessionalism, which Tom blames on Chakotay's micromanaging, suffocating, and inspiring leadership style. To make matters worse, Tom's outburst was so public, it drew the attention from the entire mess hall and especially from Michael Jonas. He observed the whole affair from a distance and later relayed this information to his Kazon Nistrum handler, who in turn delivered new orders from Seska, telling Jonas to damage Voyager's warp coils for a very specific and need-to-know reason. Meanwhile, in sickbay, the doctor is running a level 2 self-diagnostic because he believes he's been both mentally and physically unbalanced as of late. Kess simplifies things a bit for the doctor and reminds him that Dinara came on board as their patient and that his adaptive program is actually adapting to these new romantic feelings he is developing for her. These are feelings that he doesn't want to entertain at present, but cannot deny their unsettling side effects. Kess advises him to tell Dinara how he feels, because if she feels the same in return, there is nothing better in life. Unless, of course, you blurt out those feelings in the middle of a neurological procedure while poking around the brain of the very same woman with whom you are enamored. Dinara is caught off guard by the doctor's romantic bluntness and suggests they should keep their relationship professional. Later in Sandrine's, the doctor seeks Tom Paris for expert advice on recovering from romantic rejection. Tom explains that even though you think you are emotionally over someone, even the most trivial things can cause the most painful memories to resurface. However, after learning more about what happened between the Doctor and Dinara, Tom knows that the grand gesture of romance is the key and has a great idea for the Doctor as they leave Sandrine's. In sickbay, Kess suggests that Dinara should give the Doctor another chance, even though his first attempt to express his feelings was a disaster. Kess tells Dinara that even though his approach was terrible, the Doctor truly has feelings for Dinara and that there is nothing sadder than a missed opportunity for both of them. Act 4. The Doctor nervously waits for Dinara in Tom's new holographic program, a romantic getaway complete with a metallic blue 1957 Chevy convertible overlooking a gorgeous view of a Martian sunset. Dinara materializes into the Chevy's front seat right next to the doctor, who immediately showers her with gifts of roses, a box of chocolates, and a stuffed teddy bear. He even turns on the radio and offers to dance with her to prove that he's even upgraded his programming. But amidst all of these romantic overtures, all Dinara wants to do is stargaze with him. And as he bedazzles her with his astronomical prowess, they lean in closer, turn towards each other, kiss and settle into each other's arms while staring at the stars out tonight, not knowing if it is cloudy or bright. On Voyager's bridge, Tom Barris is late for his duty again, but no matter because a very nonchalant Chakotay has reassigned Mr. Grimes to attend Tom's station. Tom is outraged and makes sure everyone in earshot knows it as he pleads his case to the captain, who quickly reminds him that Chakotay has the final say in this particular matter. And just as Chakotay pulls Tom aside for a few choice words, he shoves Chakotay to the ground, and Janeway immediately orders Tuvok to escort Tom to the brig. When this news reaches Jonas, he relays all of this information to Seska, who in turn orders him to help her set a trap for Voyager by the time they reach Hemakek 4. And just as things are going well for the Doctor and Dinara during his latest round of adjusting her synaptic relays, his medical tricorder sounds an alarm, which means that Dinara's brain tissue is rejecting the graft and he cannot continue the neurological transfer. Act 5. Both the Doctor and Kess double-check their treatments, and there was no mistake on Kess's part, as she administered the Doctor's medical orders to the letter. 
The doctor is at a loss for any reasonable explanation as to how this could have happened, aside from a handful of crewmen who visited sickbay prior to Dinar's operation. However, before the doctor sends for Tuvok to investigate, Dinar confesses that it was she who poisoned her own phage-ravaged body so that it would perish and she would remain in her perfect and beautiful holographic form, one that has given her a new lease on life, one that no one is repulsed by, and that is accepted by everyone. The doctor pleads with her to complete the neural transfer or she will suffer permanent brain death, which, as a sworn healer, he cannot allow. He pleads with her that no matter the disfigurement of her real body, it is still her, who he will never look on differently. He also tells her that if it wasn't for her, he would never have understood love and the pain of losing that love, which has changed his programming forever. Later in Sandrine's, Dinara, now back in her real Vidian body, is ready to return to her people, but not before she embraces the doctor one last time, sharing in the dance that he programmed into his subroutine just for her. The end. What a romantic story, Norman. Well said. Oh, but can we just talk about Tom Paris? I think we're going to have to. I mean, (laughs) I think we have to. The dude is late yet again. By the way, as somebody who has run late more than a few times in my life, uh, here's a tip. If you're lying about why you're late, don't go with the old uh, delivering a baby yeah. excuse because, because especially if you're on your ship with only 140 people, people can check on that. Um, and everybody knows that Samantha Wildman is just <laughs> going to stay pregnant until Voyager gets back to Earth. Like, that's no. the plan. So, by that same token, yeah. like, don't make an excuse of being held up by an elevator on a one-story building. So just don't, right? Yes. It just work. Yeah. Can't do that. I, I know we're making, yeah. you know we're making light of this whole thing, but I have to say that I think we have to put kind of like a tracker now on Tom because I'm just not buying it anymore. Like, <laughs> I, I get like maybe one time or another, like when he burst in Balana's uh, meeting, you know, yeah, sure. Okay. You're late this one time, but now it's supposed to be like yeah. months of this. Right. And he's like, Hey, look, I'm late. Look at me. Look at what I've done. I'm not on duty yeah. again. I'm like, all right, we get it. We get it. Something else is going on. Yeah. We get it. Right. Yeah. I mean, even at the point where, uh, I, I don't know if you saw this, but I timestamped this at uh, 35 seconds into the op- into the uh, okay. opening scene where it looks like mm-hmm. Chakotay face palms so hard he's like he didn't do it but it looks like he did off camera because his tattoo is smeared yeah yeah and you know i i noticed a little bit of that i'm glad you pointed that out a lot of times on shows like this you know they're doing that makeup fresh every day and somebody like michael westmore or somebody assigned specifically to robert Peltran would draw it by hand and i just keep thinking like that is the time you need a stamp you just need a template you can slap on somebody's face color in the lines and then go and then you can keep replacing it all day mm-hmm. long if yeah. you need to but yeah did it did look a little funky every now and then um I, I will say with the introduction of Denara, this was a cool way to bring back an established race in the Delta Quadrant. I'm getting a little tired of like, <laughs> oh, it's the same Kazon every week following us until we're just, what, out of range? I don't know. Um, and and at the same time, giving an individual some nuance and some depth. And uh, I, I felt like from the start, the Vidians had layers that we had not fully investigated here. So... Right from the beginning, I was very interested in this way to set that up. Um, and I, I do <laughs> I do love this scene, though, because it, it, sometimes the doctor plays clueless so well. Donara seeing her own body through her holographic eyes, and she mm-hmm. gasps. And the doctor says, is something wrong? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you don't just see your own body from the outside lying on an examination table. That's freaking yeah. weird, That's weird, Doc. Yeah, yeah, but a cool It's conceit. weird, and he's also like, this isn't the emotional response that I was thinking that you would give me. I mean, where's my thanks, right? You know, he's, yeah. he, he's playing <laughs> know, the doctor almost as if the doctor was just turned on again, you know, with that kind of uh, yeah. delivery. Right. I, I thought the uh, right. the overlay graphics, the way that they built up Dinara's body from like the skeleton up, and the overlay and the animation, I yeah. thought that was really, really well done. That looked fantastic. Yeah. Here's Very the big cool. question, though, and I'm sure that it's on Memory Alpha or in someone's technical manual, but Voyager's computer mm-hmm. has a lot of gigaquads. A lot. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So the doctor says his program takes 50 million gigaquads. 
the twisted the, data yeah. that was deposited in the computer once 20 million gigaquads. And, and I double-checked this from wow. Threshold. Tom's telemetry data was 5 uh-huh. billion gigaquads. Whoa. There's a lot of gigaquads going on in wow. Voyager. Yeah. That is. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You, you got to think that at some point, I, like everybody on Voyager is just going to be assigned to a right. server room, just like <laughs> pop it out. You need like an external hard yeah. drive, like a shuttle or something like that, right? They just offload data. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. You just see them trailing, <laughs> trailing a shuttle. Yeah. Again, got to say, incredible makeup in the Vidians. Altered a little bit, like a little lighter, a little less gruesome on Denara, but still just yeah, very, very cool. well done. Very consistent, mm-hmm. you know, with the way that the phage ravages yeah. the 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 tissue. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of like going all the way back to another phage episode, faces, right? I like that they bring mm-hmm. back the the, the reality of, of Bolana's trauma uh, in uh, from faces, like into this episode. But let me ask this: so the transporter can tra- like they can transport pinpoint areas of material. <laughs> Does she really need to get put under the knife for surgery? <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I know, I know. You you would think uh, maybe this yeah. is metaphoric, but I just no. Yeah, I I hear you. I hear you. Uh, I do also like this, uh, Doctor Schmullis, which is a really good name for a pet. So I hope somebody out there has that already or is planning on it for the future. I like Schmullis. It's very Uncle E. Schmullis is right? great. Yeah, it really yeah, is. Uncle Schmullis. Yeah. So another timestamp: thirteen yeah. minutes fifty six seconds. I just love the way that kind of like the doctor is is doing his. Whatever he's doing, he's showing Bernard, like, look, Dinar, like, look how incredible I am. And then all yeah. of a sudden, this was a technique that was perfected by one, you know, Dr. Leonard McCoy. And I'm like, oh, yes. hey. Yeah. Very nice. I can also see McCoy being very flirtatious on the operating sure, table. Sure, Or around the operating table. And if I have it right, definitely a technique that was perfected before McCoy was on the Enterprise. Yes. So, yeah. 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 It's like you said it was 2253. So, yeah. Now, Wait a second. Is this yes. when he was at Old Miss when Dax <gasps> said that he had such oh, wonderful hands? Oh, uh, was that Emery? Could be. Yeah, could be. Yeah, yeah. Now I, I do, I, I do love this whole directive to uh, Michael Jonas. Uh, just uh, go plan an accident that will damage Voyager's <laughs> warp coils. <laughs> like, oh, sure, just do okay, it. <laughs> yeah. At least he has the good sense to hesitate on that. So, yeah, very weird. I love the moments between Kess yeah. and the Doctor. I it, It's that old thing. Like, it, it's such an overused type of scene in a romantic drama or romantic comedy. It's the old thing of needing someone else to point out your feelings and then gently nudge you to the next step. She's – I love it. I love the dynamic. She's wise and – He's a computer, and he needs her wisdom. And I love the embarrassment of Dinara and how she needs to give mm-hmm. it some thought. That, that was a very genuine moment there. And because of that, I mean, just hilarious timing on the doctor's confession about his feelings to Damara. <laughs> He's in the middle of that procedure, and blah, 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 and I have romantic feelings. I, it, it was uh, all of that played and, very and well. We haven't gotten a lot from Cass in like, the last couple episodes, but this is the cast that I like, you know? Yeah, she's sympathetic. Yeah. She's understanding. Yeah. She understands the doctor's psychology probably the most, and she knows that he mm-hmm. he wants to be happy. He doesn't know how to get out of the way of himself because that's not in his program. So I like how she's saying mm-hmm. your program is is adapting. It's changing, and you don't know how to yeah. understand these processes because biologicals don't know how to understand these processes either. You're 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 becoming exactly what you think you should be. In this situation, which is right. pretty amazing, right? Yeah, great and told with with an efficiency in that script mm-hmm. that I really liked. <laughs> Speaking of efficiency in a script, the doctor coming into Chez Sandrine and addressing Tom Paris. I assume you've had a great deal of experience oh, being rejected by sick women. Burn. Ah, classic yeah. sick burn, so good. 
And uh, that whole scene on Mars, just a, a great composite of effects. I, I like the look of it, the fantasy of it. It's not something you can really do, but you can mm-hmm. do in a holodeck, you know? It, there was just an artistry to that that was very cool. And, and not to mention the comedy of the doctor just tossing a bunch of gifts into her hands. Like, here, I got Thank you this and this. And it's just, it, it, they, Robert Picardo can play broad comedy, can play that really snarky attitude with the doctor but they toned it down just enough in here that it felt real. And I really appreciate it. So this is inspiration point then on Mars, you know, for all of yes, you have parked before <laughs> the parking, the parking uh-huh, in, in yeah. particular made me laugh because it reminded me of a Lorraine uh, from, uh, you know, Marty's mom at the beginning of back to the future. She's like, I've never sat in a parked yes. car with a boy. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Right. <laughs> yes, very outdated phrase. And I, I love think it. probably my favorite scene in this episode because the lyrics of the original song, you know, I only have eyes for you. Mm-hmm. The way that this one particular lyric lines up with when the doctor was asked to show her the stars. The lyrics say, are the stars out tonight? And he's actually showing her the stars when that lyric comes up in the score. It was timed. Yeah. Perfectly, and I think it, I understand why it can't be there on like the the DVDs as opposed to when the copyright was active. But it really does change yep. kind of the emphasis of that scene when you don't have that song there. Yeah, it's not just a matter of trivia, although we covered it in trivia. But if you have the chance to see this with that original track. You really need to. Um, and again, just to, to put a button on it, that model of Utopia Planitia on Mars, super cool. It had a very kind of retro, almost Jetsons feel. I believe Doug Drexler had a hand in that, quite a big hand in it. And uh, we all know his love of the 64 World's Fair. It's got that all over it. Here's a question for you that could have changed the ending in a what-if situation. You mentioned all those gigaquads. Could Voyager's computer not keep two holographic people alive? I mean, there's a lot of potential there, you know, so maybe this is kind of testing the waters for future stories. I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe. Okay. And I just, again, talking about Picardo's incredible comedic chops and knowing when to underplay something, because that is critical. His monologue to Dinara at the end I was just a projection of photons held together by force fields, a computerized physician doing a job, doing it exceptionally well, of course, but still, oh my God, I must have rewound that 20 times and rewatched it because it was gold. Yeah, that's the kind of lines gold. where actors are like, yeah, that's a good line. Yeah, <laughs> right. But they having know. someone like Picardo and understanding his character like he does, being able to emphasize that whole exceptionally well, of course, you know, that's... That's his timing. He understands his character that way. This was the line too far for me with Tom. And it's, it makes me okay. think that, okay, whatever's happening to him is something that's – it's obviously some type of uh, scheme in a way because you're just yeah. – he's not yeah. – I know that he's belligerent with Chakotay. I know he's mouthy. But you're not just going to straight up shove a superior officer to the floor without – and yeah. then be like, hey, look. Look. I shoved him to the floor. Look at me. I did that. That was me, right? Yeah. I mean, come on. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So even if that was problematic, though, I think we can agree, though, that the ending of this episode, the final scene of this episode, despite any flaws like that, absolute picture perfect perfection. If Tom was going to take out his frustrations on Chakotay that way, he should at least have had a jam box standing by to play bad to the bone. We will get right back to Life Signs after a word from this week's sponsors. And Norman, our first sponsor this week, new to the show, and oh, such a perfect combination of our interests. We're very pleased and excited to tell you all about our new relationship with Star Trek Spirits. Yes, folks, you heard that right, Star Trek Spirits. And in particular, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, two new products that we are absolutely excited to tell you all about, Romulan Vodka and Romulan Rye, both packaged in their own individually numbered, limited edition, gorgeous carafes that you have only seen and the quality of a prop 
on screen. Yeah. And these things took a long time to handcraft to the bottles that we see today. The They are filled, most importantly, with absolutely world-class spirits. We're talking about a vodka that comes from Napa that is distilled four times. We're talking about a vacuum distilled rye. And Norman, as you were just saying, so this bottle, this is a custom design handmade bottle. It has metallic gold hot stamping in Romulan on the front. And for the team at Star Trek Spirits, who have already cranked out some great products with Star Trek wines, this, this was the most technically challenging product Product that they have taken on up to date for Star Trek. Now, the whole goal here is to create this new line of ultra premium spirits worthy of the Star Trek universe and help to reimagine some old classics to turn out a product that will be sought out by spirits enthusiasts as well as Star Trek fans. Now, this product has launched as of November 21st of this year. I'm not sure when you're hearing this podcast, but that's when, and it is just in time for holiday shipping. So here's what you want to do. You want to go over to StarTrekSpirits.com, add your name to that shipping list, to that notification list, and you can use our special code to take 10% off. Trust me, act now because they will sell out. Just to talk about the gorgeousness of the product. So the product is kind of like it's it's two in one. Mm-hmm. You have a wonderful spirit in the bottle, but then you have the bottle as the collectible itself. And as collectible aficionados like many of us are, we always want to have that perfect Star Trek production prop collection on our shelves, in our bar, somewhere around the house. They're elegant. They're gorgeous. And we've always wanted to collect those. So at Star Trek Spirits, they work together with prop masters and the team at Star Trek Library to remanufacture and relaunch the brand new original designs with the front artwork application with the gold foil stamping, something that is in your hands, almost indistinguishable from the real thing, from the real prop that was used on the motion pictures. And then you get to reuse it because they have this futuristic and functional Vino Seal glass topper. So you can reuse that bottle as a decanter. And I can't wait for you to have that in your hands today. So what you do is you visit StarTrekSpirits.com today to check out the all-new Romulan Vodka and Romulan Rye. And exclusively for us, you can take 10% off your order with the special code Roddenberry at StarTrekSpirits.com. So it's that time of year again, John. Yes, it is. You know what time of year it holidays. is? Holidays. Happy times. Yep. Yeah. We're coming up on the holidays. Yep. It's the happiest season and not exactly the stressed freest of seasons. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, because, you know, we've all experienced this. You know, we have holiday travel. We have, you know, a little bit of the stress of getting, you know, that family recipe, the cooking just right that makes pleasing everyone such an incredible challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have all different types of conversations that are going on in the dinner table and just the melting pot of family, friends, and stress. But here's <laughs> one thing that you don't have to worry about. Here's something that can take stress off your list, and that's finding a great gift for the holidays. And that gift is the gift of Raycon. Ooh, yeah, some premium audio from Raycon. That's what I love. You've got them, I've got them, and I use them all the time. We're talking about Raycon's wireless earbuds, headphones, and speakers offering premium sound and useful features, uh, it, it, like an almost custom fit. It's a comfortable fit. These truly are some of those comfortable earphones I've ever used. And get this up to 54 hours of battery life. Now, anyone that you give them to will find a use for them right away, whether they use the speakers to start a party in the living room or maybe just escape the party completely, just get into your own world, right? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, Use the earbuds for maybe some much-needed zen relaxation. And as the person who's giving them, you've got to love that they start at half, yes, half the price of other premium audio brands. So here's a pretty good suggestion. This is what I like doing with my Raycon. Mm -hmm. So anytime that you feel like you want to walk around the neighborhood or work off a large meal or uh, listen to your favorite podcast or your favorite songs, you need something light. You need something that you feel like that's not in your ears at all. And I think that's, that's one of the great things about Raycon is that their sound quality is fantastic. Their fit and finish absolutely fantastic but you almost feel like they're not there and it's it's not intrusive so you can really enjoy that 
Zen space like you're talking about, John. And it's perfect for everybody, for like sports enthusiasts, for people that just want to go on leisurely walks, or for people that want to listen to loud music for an extended length of time, thanks to that fantastic battery life. Whatever you need your Raycons to do, they are there for you. And you can find Raycon in stores now, like Kohl's or Walmart. But uh, let me tell you something else right now. You're always going to get the best deal at buyraycon.com slash mission log. The Raycon website also offers free shipping, free returns, and buy now, pay later options, plus a 30-day happiness guarantee. So right now, go to buyraycon.com slash mission log to get 15% off site-wide with code HOLIDAY plus free shipping. That's code HOLIDAY at buyraycon.com slash mission log for 15% off your Raycon purchase. Buyraycon.com slash mission log. All right, Norman, we touched on it a little bit in the last segment, but uh, Tom Paris... Okay, I know. Right? I, I know. <laughs> That's is that all we need to say? We just move on, you mm-hmm. know. It, it, it's look. I know that we've been critical of how this has been played out, and yes, we we know we're going to get to other stuff in future episodes. It's funny, and I didn't note it in the trivia, but I'll note it now that the director, Cliff Bull, he was on the same page with you and me. He was just not interested in, in any of this B plot stuff, which he felt seemed like it was tacked on and that that's been my problem with it too is it interrupts the story and it just feels like you haven't earned those moments quite right but let me ask you this so uh good mm-hmm. command decision or bad command decision janeway telling chicote to handle this <laughs> this is your problem now i know that may have a different context later when we come back to it but is that is that the right way like should you if this were all on the up and up do you want to see Janeway step in and just say, no, 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 I'm going to fix this? Oh, I think it was the right decision for her to give Chakotay, like the authority to do that as first officer, because that's always been kind of the role of first officer. Let's like, let's take a like Jellico and Riker, you know, in Chain of Command one and two. Jellico is the one that said to Riker, yeah. he said, you know, I want to, I want these, uh, these work shifts to change. And uh, he says, get it done, Will. He's like, I could do it if I wanted to. But it's your job, XO, so get it done. Yeah. You know, it's your responsibility. It's kind of like this is on your resume, right? You know, you're really good at leading teams and your organizational skills with crew members. And this is the job for an executive officer. So your problem, not mine. I got bigger problems to do. Yeah. Right, to deal with. So, but there is one interesting line, though, that I really like in this whole scheme with Tom. And, you know, it's uh, he says to, uh, to Chakotay, being a leader also means knowing when to give your people a little leeway and let them be creative. I might as well put the ship on autopilot for all the freedom you give me to do my job. How many times have we felt that way in our positions in the workplace? <laughs> yes, yes. Right? You know, whether where, wherever you are, you always feel like, you know what? If it's a very sympathetic or empathetic line for Tom, because that's real. For all of the stuff that for all of the posturing that he's doing, maybe that line actually really is real. Yeah. In some way, shape, or form, like down in his psyche. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, well, I, I think that's uh, – look, you, you got to play it real, and I think he does. And I think that, yes, we can all relate to that. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's not just created out of nothing. My, my, my curiosity is just when, when we have exhausted this whole thing, will we feel like it was earned and was it successful? Um, but the question you're posing is, does Chakotay walk away with a little piece of this ringing in his ears like, oh, yeah, maybe I don't give my subordinates the leeway they need to do their jobs. <laughs> I mean, they don't feel appreciated. I think it would have been more interesting if you heard about Tom's behavior through other crewmen other than Tom. Mm, because yeah. that's that in and of itself is saying that the crew has taken notice. Like uh, they've brought up maybe Baxter oh. had a conversation with Tom or a run-in, you know, where Tom was you know, encroaching on his workout space and Baxter had to throw down on Tom or uh, someone like maybe heard it from a Neelix where, you know, they they started butting heads again or from Hogan, you know, Mm -hmm. or from Jonas, like anybody like saying, hey, look, we're getting crew complaints. Yeah. And they're going up the chain of command to Chakotay and Chakotay is like, Captain, I have like half a dozen crew complaints here saying that Tom is being a regular jerk. Right. 
that to me would have bought, I think, a lot more of uh, credibility into Tom's behavior. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, another ancillary character to this story, and that is Bolana Torres. Such a short scene with her, but I love what it gets across because Milana is rightfully so angry about the very suggestion that she donate a little brain tissue. Oh, what's a little brain tissue? Come on. You know, you're not using that part mm-hmm. to save a Vidian. But the moment that Denara walks in and talks to her and empathizes with her, things change. And it, it's the moment that someone else's suffering stops being abstract and you can actually make an emotional connection. It's so obvious, but it's wonderful. And it should make you ask why we don't think that way about others until we're face-to-face with their suffering. Such a nice scene, played very well, and such payoff from Faces. So a a nice little tie back there in a story that still uh, can hold its own. It was a nice bit of serialization Mm -hmm. because you don't – you didn't need to go back to faces. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, though, I think it gave Dinara a lot more agency when it came to – the emotional connection that she's having with the doctor and the emotional connections that she's having as the, as her own kind of uh, person in this new body, because she wants so badly I think, to reconnect with people mm-hmm. that she doesn't want to push people away. Uh, and she can see the doctor doing that. You know, the doctor is very clinical and he has his very own signature style. And he, I think is also learning from this process as well. But I, I like that uh, Bellana was involved in, again, it just gives the entire Vidian Faye storyline just another layer yeah. of complexity to it, which I thought was really nice. Um, something also I wanted to talk about when it, when it came to Dinara and this holographic body and the premise of, of what is being actually established here. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, the doctor can play off like I'm brilliant and I just created your holographic <laughs> body because I can, because it's in my programming. But what are they actually doing here? You know, so when so let's go back to the measure of a man, uh, because we've uh, okay. used this reference before yeah. with the doctor. Yeah. So Picard in his deliberations with Maddox and in uh, Captain uh, Lavoie. Mm-hmm. He said that if you make more than one of these androids, doesn't that constitute a race? Hmm. And what are we doing here about, you know, governing uh, a set of laws over this race? Well, the doctor just created another holographic life form because there's no stopping him technically if he had the power and capability and resources of doing that. So why not give that technology to the Vidians themselves? Why not give them the opportunity to create, like, if they have all of these people incapacitated because of the ravaging that their bodies have suffered from to the point where they're comatose, give them another chance at life in these holographic simulations where they can become these people to live out whatever life they have left and the energy level that they have left with dignity. Interesting. Okay. Wow. The Yeah. Wow. <laughs> this is a whole other type of conversation that I'm glad you're bringing up because now you've got the wheels turning in my head. And I'm thinking that, you know, the doctor is a particularly unique thing. He was created by a group of people. It's kind of created by committee, but with the the implant of Dr. Zimmerman's image, partly personality, maybe is the dominant part of that. Donara is a naturally occurring biological entity whose brain patterns have been copied and then implanted into a computer simulation, which then brings up a whole other question about which one is the real, quote-unquote, real Denara. You know, in theory, and I know that the, the show can't let us go this path, but in theory, you could say, okay, we're just going to turn off that little part of the, uh, the whatever they call the, the device, the MacGuffin here that is keeping her brain alive enough, and let all of that data that has been copied into Voyager's computer to create this hologram, let that continue. Dinara doesn't necessarily know, quote-unquote know, or recognize the difference, except that there is another brain laying there on the table until it's not anymore. I wondered about that if... Okay, if you go that route and you say to the Vidians, here's a technology that will upload 
all of the contents of your brain into this holographic simulation so that when this body dies, some form of you, this consciousness, will continue to live over there. Now, if you're awake on the table, you're not aware because you're not experiencing the same things that your holographic avatar is experiencing, but your holographic avatar is just as much convinced that they are you as you are convinced that you are you. Now, how many people do you do this to and how sustainable is this? Do we end up with a situation like Sargon and uh, and his people who end up yeah. just being uh, entities in a sphere until he decide to make robot bodies and then try to take over the galaxy? Maybe that's not such a great way to go. But I really did wonder about this existential problem of what do you do with these patterns and data, da- data with a little d, not you know, mm-hmm. our data, robot data. Um, certainly not data. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> what do you do with that when potentially that could give somebody a form of immortality? And, and again, the, 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 you may have two sets of beings that from that point that they diverge have different experiences, different input, but they are not aware of the other's consciousness. It's almost an impossible thing to crack. You can also you can um, take a look at it from uh, adding a governor to all of this, and that is that holographic body is only alive as long as the brain is alive. Because that's with mm-hmm. Dinara, her body, her brain health is dictated the the connection between the hologram and the information that was being streamed through the pattern buffer into her holographic body. But it was all sustained by you know her brain still being alive. So once her brain dies or when she suffers brain death, then it's actual death for the body. It's kind of like the matrix mm-hmm. right before the matrix was the matrix, mm-hmm. but it's just one of those. It's the possibility that the Vidians have, you know, this incredibly advanced technology. They might be able to learn something in order to maybe help ease the passing of, of very like terminally ill patients to give them a sense of dignity before they die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that, that's very interesting. Well, let me let me turn this part of the conversation back around to the doctor because <laughs> then we've got another question about what's going on with him. From very early in Voyager, we've had these discussions where the crew are trying to understand and accept the doctor as a being. And Kess was the first one who's just like, no, 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 he's he might be holographic, but but he has this life he has this awareness and we all need to get on board with this idea and i wondered if does this change the game for some of those who are maybe the latecomers to that because we've had a doctor with a personality which you can chalk up to experiences traits whatever they're programmed into the 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 system that powers him but is this the first time that he has felt something? And is this an evolutionary expression of that program, uh, of that computer actually developing an emotional life and deciding, no, 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 you can't focus on your work right now because you're focused on how much you like Dinara. Does that change? Like, do, is, this, is this a moment that the doctor has become something else? Uh, maybe only in the eyes of certain other crew members. May, I mean, maybe Kess is the only one who really gets it because she was there for it. And I guess ultimately, maybe the answer to that doesn't matter beyond what we establish in Measure of a Man, which is it's really just about us affording that entity the dignity and the rights to live and be without us deciding one has more rights over another. You know, I, I think that all of this can be seen through him not having a name hmm. because until he's actually named, until he has that power or until somebody has that power over him, he's just still uh, this entity, a program. He even, you know, self-referentially calls himself the doctor, no name. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been named before, but they didn't stick. Mm-hmm. There was, you know, the instance of uh, Samantha Wildman getting named, uh, her baby being named after maybe Kess's father. And now, because he feels so strongly about this woman, he's entertaining her uncle's name, Shmulis. Mm-hmm. Which I and I thought it was just you know it was really tender uh, of of that moment where you know she kind of like offered that up in Shea Sandrine, but I think that until he actually settles on that, that gives him power 
over himself and not of, of, of and not others having power over him when he actually accepts and adopts a name is when he becomes that being a whole being you know i don't know if we're going to get to that i mm-hmm. haven't seen that far ahead but as as of right now it's just a series of kind of like checks and balances of i've learned this check that's part of my program now. Mm-hmm. Can't go backwards. I learned how to dance. Check. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't go backwards from that. I can't roll that back to his previous version. You know, the previous system update. Right. So everything right. he learns is a system update, right? Yeah, interesting. Um, it's, Voyager computers yeah. stopped signing uh, previous versions of the program. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So let's talk about Dinara's journey a little bit here. And I feel like we have to kick this question around because I feel like the writing staff probably asked themselves the same thing as the episode came together. Did she make the right decision? She made the heroic decision. She made the selfless Mm -hmm. decision. But how would we feel about Dinara if she chose to stay she was trying to kill her body she was i mean we just did an episode about right to die how would Mm -hmm. we feel about her carrying that out and succeeding in killing her physical body i mean look we could speculate all day about other options like outfitting her shuttle with a holographic emitter keeping her in a pattern buffer or whatever but i know that there will be ways to write around that and say no 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 you can't you can't do that. Again, I go back to this question about is the holographic version actually her? It is a copy, but it is a copy that has all the lived experience, all the emotional reality, all the consciousness, such as it is, such as we are all mm-hmm. computers, fully present. Technically, isn't that what a transporter has done? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the transporter has basically recreated every single synapse and you know, memory pattern and biological pattern from one moment in time to another. Mm-hmm. So that's essentially on paper, the exact same thing that happening to her, right? It's just that in, in, even in the transporter, you can recreate genetic code in the transporter. You know, you're, you yeah. can remove, yeah, uh, just ask Dr. Toxin. Pulaski. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so if you're manipulating people at the genetic level using technology, yeah. call it a transporter, call it a hollow emitter. It's the exact same thing principally. Yeah. Yeah. So, and but I think when it comes to her decision at the end, you know, and b- before, you know, she was wrestling with like essentially murdering her biological self, I think she was doing it and and she knew that once that once that um, that body is gone, when once she suffers actual brain death, the hologram can't live on anymore because the synapse was mm-hmm. connect. You know, it will be disconnected from the the cortical implant. Mm-hmm. So she's like, you know what? I'd rather live out a shorter life as a as a whole person rather than live a longer life as this ravaged body. Mm-hmm. So what is the better life? Well, that, I, I think that's it, what is a better life indeed. And I, I couldn't help but think about the cage. And it's follow up the menagerie because in the cage you had Vina making that decision after the Telosians had tried to put her back together and failed. And she wanted to live her remaining years in the fantasy of being fully able bodied and, and, you know, the way she pictured herself. And then you get to the menagerie and it's Pike making that same decision. Pike rather living out, which is a total reversal of where he was at the end of the cage. No, no, no. I don't want to be in a gilded cage. I, you know, mm-hmm. I need my freedom. But then when the conditions change, he wants to be back there and live the fantasy. I'm not sure if this qualifies as a message, moral, or a meaning, but hear me out. It's not just gonna happen like that, cause I ain't no hollow deck girl. Nice little light episode to wrap up here, John. You know, no big deal. That's no. what we do here at Mission Log. You know, yeah. we take the light episodes, make them heavy and mm-hmm. vice versa and everything in between. But no, in all seriousness, fantastic discussion. But let's get into it as we do at the end of every Mission Log. We look at the episode and we see if there are any morals and meanings and messages to be mined at the end. But first, we get into, does this episode hold up for you? Does this episode hold up for you, John? I, You know what? I, I have to admit, and I don't think I'm treading any 
new ground here when I say this, that Voyager's first couple of seasons, a little bit rocky, a little bit uneven. We've hit some high highs and we've hit some low lows. And you and I, maybe we've taken some shots at Voyager in our coverage for not really knowing what it is when it comes to either a bold new concept for Star Trek or just doing familiar TNG rehash type stories. And I want to say that in the very best sense of both of those options, this episode lands. The setup and the production technique, very straightforward and pretty obvious. Introduce a singular new character into our crew. Just so happens that this one is an alien whose appearance at first forces us to have this kind of biased reaction. Then we take the time to get to know her through the eyes of a familiar character who has also done some growing and has some more growing to do on his own. Like th- These are all things that Star Trek has done and continues to do very well. This episode uses one of the more interesting Voyager-specific species that we've encountered, and it uses one of the strongest characters in our primary crew and tells this emotional but very accessible story and gives us these big moments of growth in the process. Uh, It it really – it has everything, And, and Robert Picardo, again, just shows himself to be an MVP yet again. And what I love here is that you have a story that is very high concept (laughs) at the outset. You got a hologram, and you got a hologram doctor, and you got to move a brain pattern to another place, blah, blah, all high concept stuff. And yet it manages to just go along and capture these essentially relatable emotional truths. Sometimes when Star Trek decides to do a romantic story, it falls apart, seems false, seems fake, seems tacked on. This one does not. And I cannot help but find this episode holding up beautifully and doing so in the very best traditions of Star Trek. There, I've gushed enough. Mm -hmm. Norm, you tell me how this was a a wreck, a disaster. (laughs) You're done with it. You're leaving. No, right? No. No? Okay. All right. No, we're on the same page here, John. And and it's been fun uh, in the last couple episodes, you know, because, you know, we've had some, like, differing opinions, which has been fantastic. But I think Mm -hmm. when an episode is really told well – and the story is very clear. And you're right, the, you take an elevated premise uh, and then you fuse it with kind of like the traditions of Star Trek and especially with Voyager with you know, a lot of kind of like the techno speak, etc. What's really rising above all that is kind of like the simplicity of this romantic story and what makes humanity you know, very unique and very singular and something that everyone can understand. And that is this aspect of love, you know, and the structure, I think, in this episode works really well because you have a very limited amount of set changes. It's like a play. I think that's when Star Trek is also at its best. It's when you're not you're not really wrapped up in the spectacle. You're you're more invested in the characters, you know, in the nuances of the relationship that's happening within the story. Yeah. And this is like I'm not saying that this is at the same level of, say, duet or trell. Sure. But you have just those Again, those very isolated scenes, you know, with the doctor and Dinara in just a few scene changes where you're always paying attention to them and not necessarily where they are. Yeah. Maybe with the yeah. exception of being on Mars, but that was for a very <laughs> specific point. Yeah. So, and also, I think that this is an interesting uh, dynamic with uh, storytelling because usually the. You know, the the great uh, drama in stories between antagonist and protagonist. But this is more like protagonist and the protagonist, right? You have Mm. the doctor as a protagonist and Dinar as a protagonist and somewhat of an antagonist, but not really. Mm -hmm. But because the relationship is so complex, it's the issue that brings out the drama between the two of them. And they're not necessarily like they're um, certainly not like, say, the doctor's uh, motivations and her motivations towards the end. But there is this higher understanding of of sympathy you know for these characters because they're trying to achieve something that we take for granted you know they're trying to achieve this relationship this understanding of what it means to be or experience the passion of life so that's again that's something that's very just well told in this episode and i think that it's rare to have this very immediate and unique chemistry between you know bob picardo and and susan deal they Mm -hmm. are magic 
from scene one and you either get it or you don't yeah you know on on camera so they have that it was fantastic and you're right in your observations you can tell how good an episode lands when you are absolutely either one of three things speechless in tears or speechless in tears (laughs) yeah and i think that the ending of this episode one of those three happened to many of us that watched this. It, it is a testament to how good those scenes are when uh, everybody knows when we put together our podcast, we're watching these episodes multiple times. And when I can have the same emotional reaction two or three or four viewings in, I know that it's a strong scene. That final scene gets me choked up every time. And that final scene has one line of dialogue in it. It's all done with showing. It's all done with feeling. And if I think about it, I will start to get choked up again. So we're going to move on. All right. (laughs) All right. Morals, meanings, messages. This episode is a beautiful love story. What do we take away from it? Well, I I don't think this episode has to hit us on the head with too much because it's just the beauty of the story unfolding. Um, Since we did have a little bit of uh, music in this episode, a little pop music in there and mentioned in our trivia, let me also quote a classic from 1966 by The Temptations, Beauty's Only Skin Deep. Great song. Mm -hmm. Uh, You guys can put together the rest of that on your own. I also, you know, we've talked about how good Kess is in this episode and how good those uh, few scenes of her with the doctor are. There's nothing sadder than a missed opportunity. Uh, I I just love that. I love that little bit of wisdom from Kess. That's something to hold in your heart. Uh, Mm -hmm. We should all do that. And kind of the beauty of this is that love makes things complicated, which is fine. (laughs) Uh, Is love more powerful than programming? I, I guess for the EMH, with adaptive programming yeah and and even if he could even if he could by will just shift the priorities of his program to focus on his work he can't he can't and i like that little bit of human experience you can't just direct your emotions because they direct you and Mm -hmm. there's such a great deal of humanity to be realized in this doctor this is what star trek does well which is allows us to see ourselves through an alien, or in this case, a manufactured intelligence. And, uh, and it's what sci-fi does well. It's what Star Trek does exceptionally well. And I'm glad you brought up the Kess line, because it seems that that line was very specific and landed you know, very clearly for both you and me. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to, to expound upon something that we were almost getting to in, in discussions, and that is uh, how this episode and how Death Wish are similar in very uh, similar respects, very similar respects. Mm. So Death Wish is like the bookend to this episode. And this is like, it's the contrast to Life Signs, because both episodes have to do with you have Quinn's story and Dinar's story, respectively, but they're both focused on the quality of life issue, mm-hmm. but seen in opposite extremes. So in Death Wish, it's what is life if life is lived um, without joy, without passion, but eternally? Mm-hmm. And then in contrast, you have what is life if. Um, if you know if the quality of life that exists uh, doesn't allow you to like achieve your fullest potential, but if, even if you had the smallest fraction of being able to live that potential, would you take it? You know, even right. if it was going to be short lived. So, right. again, um, echoing what you said about Cass's sentiment, you know, uh, she, she says to Dinar, "I can't pretend to know what your life has been like." But I do know that there's nothing sadder than a missed opportunity. So at the end of Death Wish, the the podcast and not the episode, Mm -hmm. I mentioned an episode from Highlander, the series called Timeless. Mm. But I don't think that I I referenced why that episode uh, fits into this conversation. So in that episode, the immortal mythos is 5,000 years old, and he has fallen in love with a woman who has less than a year to live. And Duncan, the hero of Highlander, tells his friend, even if she lives to be a hundred, he'll still have the pain of losing her, just like the doctor and Dinara. Mm. For all intents and purposes, mm. the doctor is immortal. 
And no matter how long he and Dinara have, he will one day still have to experience the pain of losing her. So all he can do is decide what to do with the time that he has with her, which is why I think the most powerful line in this episode is, so Dinara, please be with me for as long as you can. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. If you'd like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash missionlog for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord. Our website is missionlogpodcast.com. And for more Star Trek news and discussion, visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log, investigations. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11. Online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Shabel. Thank you for calling the Kazon Hotline. We appreciate your call. Press 1 for standard lingua code. Dos para espanol, or three if it's just Jonas again. End transmission. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.